Uh, please uh, grab your Bibles now and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be reading the first 18 verses of this chapter this morning. Matthew 2 from verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may also come and worship him also, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their, their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring word to you, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we take this time now to dive into these verses from Matthew 2, we ask that you would help us to understand them. As we have sung, which in many ways is a prayer, we ask that you would speak to us, that we might receive the food of your holy word in the way which you intend for us to receive it, that we might grow in righteousness and usefulness in your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now today is Christmas Day, the 25th of December. Now when you come to church on the 25th of December, you perhaps expect a shorter sermon. 
Now, that's a little bit concerning to myself because when I preach, I preach however long I feel the passage requires me to preach on it. So when people say, it would be nice if shorter sermons, I haven't heard anyone say that to me. When people have this idea, shorter sermon would be good, I get a bit nervous. But then I remember that length of sermons is a very subjective thing. So please get comfortable. We are looking at God's word. We aren't here to satisfy our time requirements this morning. I won't keep you overly long, I hope. But we're here to see God's word speak to us and hopefully grow us and develop an appreciation of what we see of the birth of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, in the last few years, something that has fascinated me, and not in a, a great sense of fascination, is what seems to be an increasing dislike for Christmas. I don't think people genuinely hate Christmas because it's a time of year where you get presents and public holidays. There's not much in that to hate. But you strip those things away and you go to what Christmas is meant to be about, remembering the birth of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. As I said before, a time we remember the Son of God who became a Son of Man that the sons of men might become sons of God. Those Christian gospel aspects of Christmas are slowly being eroded by societal pressure. Now, again, as I said at the start of the service, I don't think the 25th of December is actually when Jesus was born. Perhaps he was born around this time of the year. There is some research done into some feasts around the time, not long after Jesus was born, which indicate maybe December was when he was born. We don't know. But what we do know is the Messiah coming into the world is a huge thing. It is a huge event, one that we should stop and take time to appreciate because we often talk about the freedom that we have from sin as Christians. A verse like Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which I've said a lot, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's one because Christ died on the cross, but for Christ to die on the cross, he first had to be born. We have to appreciate how significant this is. But as I said, there's opposition and erosion of things relating to Christmas coming through. How many Christmas cards do we get these days that actually say Merry Christmas on it? Seasons, greetings, happy holidays. That's a nice thing to say, but it's changing the focus, isn't it? A few years ago, there was a, a certain political group who received enormous criticism for bucking the season's greetings trend and having Merry Christmas on the official cards that they sent out at the end of the year. Criticised for saying Merry Christmas. Some of you might remember the uh, three absolutely fantastic Tim Allen Santa Claus movies. Brilliant movies. Recently, uh, Disney did a a six-part series. Now, I was a bit disappointed. It might be evidence I'm starting to slowly grow up. Now, before that had actually been released, the critics were jumping online, writing their reviews, saying, this series is absolutely rubbish. Now, there wasn't a whole heap of religious things in there. I think there was one scene in a whole six seasons where they were inside a church. But there was too much religion being pushed on people. We don't like it. We'll take the holiday, we'll take the presents, but there's just pushback on the things that this time of year is meant to be about. Now, why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying that because if we look at our passage today, we see this is not a new thing. Christmas is about the birth of a king. One of the lines in the song that we sang before was, Born a child, yet a king. 
the opposition we see to, to Christmas today is a sort of opposition that I think Herod, if you were to name one person who really stands out as the, the worst of a bad bunch at the time of Christ's birth, it's Herod, he would very much approve of these things. Now, this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to see how people can perceive Christmas. We're going to see the disturbance. We're going to see the intrigue and we're going to see the outrage. So first let's look at the disturbance. What we look at in Matthew 2, 1 to 18, takes place sometime after Jesus' birth. We don't know exactly how old Jesus was when these things happened. We don't know how long the wise men had been following the star. From Herod's reaction later on in verses 16 and 17, this is perhaps two years after Jesus was born, perhaps soon, but perhaps up to two years after Jesus was born. We don't know whether Jesus was still lying in the manger. In fact, he probably wasn't by this point in time. Matthew doesn't dwell on those things. And he'll probably say the timing doesn't really change the events that took place. These things happen as they're recorded. Now, what's interesting in these, uh, these verses here is that we're looking at things that happened around the birth of Jesus. We're not actually looking at the birth of Jesus himself, which might be interesting to you. But what it does draw our attention to is different reactions to the news of the king being born. So from the beginning, verses 1 and 2, after Jesus was born, we have wise men coming to Jerusalem, asking people where the king of the Jews had been born. And this is where the trouble, the disturbance really begin. Where has the king of the Jews been born? These are wise men coming into another city, Jerusalem, Presumably not their own place because later on they return to their own country, so they're foreigners another way. They come in and they say, where's the king being born? The problem with asking that question is for a king to be a king, the other king has to not be there anymore. And there is a king, his name is Herod, and he doesn't like this. And kings like to know what their subjects are saying. Partly to ensure that there's no uprisings, but, you know, just to know what's happening in your country. We have Herod as king, hearing that people in his city, the seat of his political power, are aware that the king of the Jews has been born. Now, Herod was installed by the Roman authorities over the Jews. For the Jews to be saying the king of the Jews has been born, this has huge political ramifications to take place. And put yourself in the shoes of Herod and imagine how you would react as king to people under your authority asking one another, do you know where the king of the Jews has been born? Herod was king and he hadn't just been born. This would be hugely disturbing to him. It would be troubling as we read in the bible here this morning incredibly disturbing to herod he would have begun thinking how to maintain his rule and how does he do this he needs to sort out this upshot deal with the problem nip it in the bud before it goes any further it was disturbing and troubling to Herod. And if we look at verse 3, we see that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. This was a time of unrest. Now we might be going, why would Jerusalem, the, the city of the Jews, be troubled by the news that the king of the Jews had been born? 
Wouldn't they want a Jewish king to rule over them rather than a foreign figurehead who only pleased the Caesars back in Rome? Well, they probably did, but Herod was not a nice guy. Herod had many, many skeletons in his closet. Historians tell us that this is a man who had killed wives, multiple. Certain kings of England with bad reputations for this might sound familiar. He had killed multiple wives. He had killed brothers. He had killed all sorts of relatives to secure his place on the throne. This threat, which he's he's perceiving as a threat anyway, would not go down well. Because Herod, in short, was just a really rubbish bloke. This news of a new king on the block was disturbing. It disturbed Israel because it threatened to throw the normal order of things on its head. The birth of a child did this. And that's before we remember the promises about who this child is. Before we remember the promises of Isaiah chapter 9, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Wonderful, counsellor, everlasting father, prince of peace. These are the titles that are attributed to Jesus. When we see the disturbance that is caused by the news of the king being born, we see that people are going to have a response to it and sometimes it might be a response as visceral as Herod's is. We see various responses in this account, but Herod demonstrates exactly why the news of Christ's birth can be disturbing. His power to do things his way at his time is threatened by the true king. And if we're hearing of this for the first time today, if we're hearing of this for the hundredth or thousandth or how many times today, that same thing applies to us. What we have here is the king who is born. The king has come. The king who is over all things. The king who will reign forever. The king who came to rule his subjects and have his subjects bow the knee before him. This is the message of the king, the Messiah having been born. It comes with the hope of salvation from sin. But it also comes with news that there are changes that need to make. Sin needs to be repented of. We cannot keep living as if we are our own boss anymore. There is something about the birth of Christ that disturbs the way we might naturally, without God, in our fallen state, like things to be. There is the disturbance with this news that some people simply do not and cannot cope with. But in all of that, there's intrigue, isn't there? When Herod heard this news and been troubled by it, he called together the chief priests and the scribes And he wanted to know, where has this baby been born? So they all gathered together. Now, given the the state of unrest, the troubled nature of things, you imagine this wasn't the meeting where you were dragging your feet to get to it. If you're one of these chief priests and the scribes, you're going to get to this meeting pretty quickly. Herod's hearing about things, things are moving. 
And he asks Jovis, where is this baby? Where is this child who has been born? Now what we need to remember, we've seen from Isaiah 9, the birth of Christ didn't just happen. This was a promised birth. This is the Messiah being prophesied about for a long time. There is a lot within Scripture that shows us that Christ isn't just another, another baby born, but he is the one filling the promises, fulfilling the promises of God. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 we have here quoted for us in verse 6. That's the answer. We've got to go to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, that's where we're going to be. So Herod is now armed with this knowledge that Bethlehem is the location. But it's not easy to just pick out one single child in a city, is it? So he calls the wise men to him. He doesn't actually go and see people here. He calls people to him. And you get this sense of a siege mentality building up with Herod. People are called to him, continually called to him. He's not going out to be with them, calling to him. And his secret meeting with the wise men. I told it wasn't an open meeting. It's rather secret. He, he, he starts getting a little bit chummy and supportive of the wise men's quest. He even helps them by telling them, you know what? I know where the child is. He's in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, go to Bethlehem. And Herod says, you go there. You find him. And when you found him, you come back to me. Remember me, your friend, who has helped you and given you necessary information? You come back to me once you've found him and tell me exactly where he is in Bethlehem. Tell me where he is so I can go and worship him. And if we haven't seen falsehood in what Herod's saying up until then, that's where the alarm bells should be going off. This is a guy who only wants to hold on to his power. This is a guy who is not interested in giving. This is a guy who is interested only in receiving what he thinks he is worthy of. As we continue through this passage, the wise men, they go and they, they find Jesus. And they fall down before him and they give him these gifts of gold and frankincense. And myrrh, wonderful gifts, expensive gifts, kingly gifts. They worship the born king. Now just quickly, three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh doesn't mean there were three wise men. There could have been two, that would have been men. There could have been a whole delegation of them. There could have been three. We don't know, let's not make assumptions that we can't draw from this. I know it looks good on Christmas cards. Let's not draw too many conclusions that the Bible doesn't tell us. So they go, they offer these gifts, they fall down, they worship, they pay tribute. And then Herod is reintroduced to the story in verse 12. The wise man is reintroduced indirectly at first. The wise men are told... They're divinely warned. Now, whether that's a dream like what Joseph had or something else, we don't know. Joseph in verse 13, specifically told in a dream. The wise men in verse 12, divinely told. Perhaps dream, we don't know. But God, divinely, this can only be God who spoke to them. God told them, warned them that they should not return to Herod. So they went another way home.
Now, these guys did the right thing. But again, remember the unrest. There is no easy thing for these guys to do at this point in time. If they return to Herod, Herod's intent is to kill Jesus. If they don't return to Herod, the state of unrest continues. There is no easy decision for these guys to do, but what they do do is what God has divinely told them to do, to not return home via Herod. Now again, imagine you're Herod. Ever been waiting in a cafe to meet someone that just never turn up? Maybe they're five minutes late. How dare they? We don't like being stood up. We don't like feeling like we're being stood up. And this is actually just complete avoidance. They go home another way. And Herod's thinking, I was nice to these guys. I told them where to go. They completed their quest because of me. Yes, they had a start to follow, but because of me, they finished it. They stood me up. What's going on? God intervened. Because God knew that in his heart, Herod had no regard for the realness of the intrigue of the events that were happening. The the birth of Christ isn't something which just go, oh, that happened. Tell me about it so I can gain more knowledge and more power. The birth of Christ is something that is worth investigating deeply. And as we investigate deeply, it should lead us to the place that the wise men reached of bowing down and worshipping. These were rich, wealthy, powerful men who bowed down before a baby. A baby who would grow to be the king over all things. That is where the intrigue leads us, to be on our knees before Christ, acknowledging his lordship, his kingship. But Herod had rejected God. He wasn't going to let this disturbance unseat him away from his throne. And we need to remember that it's not just giving a good impression that matters. God knows our hearts. Herod had given a good impression. He pretended that he cared, but he did not believe. And he did not care other than to protect himself. As we see the intrigue of Christ's birth, we must see that intrigue with the intent of worshipping the king, not with the intent of turning up to satisfy our own needs, wants and desires. But this is where the outrage comes in. Verse 16, Herod realises that he's been tricked. Again, there's no time frames given. It could be days, weeks, hours, months. We don't know how long after it was. Presumably not too long after the wise men had left. Herod knew how long it took to get to Bethlehem. Probably not that long afterwards. We don't know the time frame, but we see what Herod does and we see an incredibly extreme reaction in opposition to the king being born. He was exceedingly angry for a king to be so out of control of his emotions that he is described as being exceedingly angry. We've got problems there. And from his exceeding anger, he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts 
from two years old and under. Again, the, the thing we remember today with Christ being born is not just some light, fluffy baby in a manger stuff. This challenges our hearts. It exposes our hearts. And Herod's heart is ugly. It is horrific. All the children in the city and the surrounding towns, the, the boy children, up to the age of two, presumably to give some measure of leeway on either side of when that star had appeared in the sky to the wise men, which he'd asked about earlier. They're killed. Now we might look at that and go, well, we don't see that sort of reaction to the birth of Christ today, but is that true? We don't see many people in the position to act on their anger the way that Herod was in a position to act on his anger. But there is still anger at this news that a Messiah has come into the world. The news of the Messiah, as I said before, is one that there is the hope, the certain hope of forgiveness from sins. But for us to be saved from our sins, we need to first acknowledge that we are sinners and that is an uncomfortable and painful thing for us to go through at times. There is joy and freedom and life on the other side of that pain, but to acknowledge that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we have no merit of our own to stand before God, no matter how good we think we are, is beyond disturbing. It's distressing for us. So we may not see people killing babies at Christmas time each year when they hear the gospel, but we do see in parts of the world this sort of opposition to those who even believe in Jesus. The outrage of this message continues today. We can hear these things the Bible talks about and we can see it perhaps as just that fluffy, wonderful children's story of a baby being born or we can see it as a king coming into the world. And if we see this as a king coming into the world, then we can sometimes chafe and fight against what this means to us because it means that we need to acknowledge somebody else is in control and has authority over our lives. If we want salvation from sin, that is what is required. We need to accept that Jesus is not just a baby who was born, but accept that Jesus is the Lord and Saviour of all those who believe in him and that he died hanging on a cruel cross to pay for the sins of those the Father gave to him. Now, I can tell you that I would like for each and every one of us to be more worshipful towards Christ than our triune God as a result of what we hear today. But I can't make you do that. I just can't make you do that. But really, we have two options. We can see the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of this event. And we can research it and dive into it and worship God in spirit and truth and keep worshipping him and keep serving him 
and place ourselves under his authority or we can act like little Herods and feel contempt and hatred towards Christ and his message. Will we explore more for the right reasons? Herod showed us the wrong reasons. Will we explore more for the right reasons? Will you worship him and live a life that is one of peace and reconciliation because this is what Christ brought into the world? We hear this phrase, peace on earth, and we perhaps think that just misses the mark completely. Is there really peace on earth? Yes, there is. For those who love Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, for those who worship him, there is reconciliation between God and man achieved by this one who was born. For those who love God, we are granted peace. Not easiness in our circumstances all the time, but peace because our sins are forgiven. We have peace in accepting the true, true king. And peace because our true king, who was born in such humble circumstances as he was, after growing into a man, died for the sins of those who believe in him. The son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men might become sons of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that we read in the different Gospels about this wonderful news of Christ being born. We pray, Lord God, that we would remember this tremendous, amazing blessing to us, that through this child being born, there is hope for eternity. There is forgiveness from sins. And may you move in each one of our hearts that we might bow the knee before him, worship him, richly with adoration. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.